This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. This show may contain strong language or adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. There is nothing wrong with your radio. We are controlling transmission. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind to the outer limit frequency. Good evening, my name is Sam. My name's Ricardo. And this is the outer limit frequency. Most of the time, for good reason, it's the albums or the live shows from a band that get the most attention. The thing that's often overlooked is a demo album, which basically boils down to a usually shorter release, much like an EP, created as an in-between album release, like an EP, or a what-we-can-offer type thing to show the record labels by bands hoping to get signed. Sometimes the band will release these demos to the public so we get an idea of what they sounded like at the start of their careers or potentially when their recording equipment and method wasn't quite up to the quality that they would enjoy under a record label. Then other times you just have alternate demo style recordings of album songs which can actually be better than the album version. So tonight we are looking at both of these things, demos and alternate tracks. What's better than a kick-ass song from one of your favourite bands? A new version of that song that also features one of your favourite musicians from a different band. It's really not rocket surgery. Grinder Man's Heathen Child was already a damned fine song, but it was given a significant update with the release of Grinder Man 2 RMX, an album of, well, the remixes of Grinder Man 2, aren't they? Dubbed Super Heathen Child, the 2010 edition of the track featured an extended guitar outro courtesy of Robert Fripp from King Crimson. This is a very unlikely union of two of my all-time favourite musicians, so it was hard not to feel like the song was made just for me. But I suppose you can listen to it too. Child. She's a heathen child 
When Jane's Addiction released their debut album, Nothing's Shocking, in 1988, the original vinyl release consisted of nine songs chosen out of a demo of 18. These were all re-recorded to be at a standard that Warner Media wanted them at, but the demo was still out there. Then in 1997, they released Kettle Whistle, a compilation of live tracks and demos that fans had been itching to hear for some time. The version of Ocean Size on this compilation blows the original album release out of the water. There's something about the lack of polish that just makes the delivery come across as so much more aggressive and, well, punk. It turns out garage-sounding punk really suits Jane's Addiction.
PJ Harvey spent the last two years unravelling full albums worth of demo recordings from her entire catalogue. And I'm really not surprised that PJ is the sort of artist to keep hold of these odds and ends, you know, just in case. And since there are so many to choose from, I'm going to talk about my favourite PJ Harvey song, The Words That Maketh Murder, from the Let England Shake record. What I love about this demo specifically is that it wears its influence so clearly on its sleeve, as PJ is essentially playing over a loop of a single line from Eddie Cochran's Summertime Blues. It's the one where he threatens to take his complaints about life straight to the United Nations. I adore the juxtaposition of Harvey's gruesome stories from the trenches of World War I against the most famous early example of teenage angst and ennui in popular culture. Summertime blues might have been made famous by the likes of Blue Chair and The Who, but I prefer the way that Harvey repurposed a mere fragment of it to create something entirely new.
Metallica have a lot of demo albums out there. I mean, they were essentially a garage band for some time before ever getting picked up or getting any kind of traction. And because of this, even after becoming a big deal, they still did the odd demo release. No Metallica demo, however, will ever top their fourth of five 1982 demos, No Life to Leather, largely because this is basically Kill em All, just more rustic and missing a couple of the weaker songs. The other major difference being that even though bassist Cliff Burton was credited, he doesn't actually perform here. Instead, it's the much lesser known Ron McGovney here alongside James Hetfield, Lars Ulrich and Dave Mustaine. This roughness really does suit Mustaine era Metallica and you just can't beat an even rougher version of the best Metallica song, Seek and Destroy.
Bottle Village by Idols is my favourite song of 2020. It was fun, catchy, and full of razor-sharp satire. I thought it was perfect. But then in 2021, the band released an alternative version of the track that featured UK rapper Slow Tie. And now I'm not going to go and say the Slow Tie version is better than the original, because I just don't think that's the point. When somebody gives you more of something you like for free, you say thank you. It's just the way I was raised.
the curtain twitches And the villagers bury their riches But the village doesn't know what riches Just snitches, snitching on snitches Only one thing to do in the village Just say toodle-doo to the village Okay, I actually told myself I wasn't going to play anything from this album here because I've mentioned Buddha from Blink-182 multiple times in the past, but I've never actually played anything from it, which seems like a damn crime because it's so much better than Cheshire Cat. This album has always been considered by most to not be a studio album by the band and just a demo. Pretty much always. The only person who seems to consider it one of their proper albums is Mark Hoppus, and I suppose we can trust him when it comes to this, but to me, it'll always be their demo that was better than the album. Because Cheshire Cat was largely just alternate Buddha rather than the other way around. Sure, Buddha is even messier, and the vocals in particular are rough, but it works for this early Blink-182 style. Or actually just Blink as they were when Buddha was recorded. Anyway, this is Carousel.
2004, I remember watching music TV and quite enjoying a song called Reason is Treason. It was the debut single from a group called Kasabian. I liked it so much that I went to a music shop to buy the CD because, again, it was 2004. But for reasons that I still cannot fully wrap my head around, the album version of Reason is Treason was fairly different from the single version I'd come to know from the TV. Not worse... It just wasn't the thing that I'd intended to spend my money on. Indeed, the version of the track used for their music video to, you know, promote the album was actually the Jackknife Lee remix, which was tacked onto the end of the record as a hidden track. Not even a bonus track. Hidden track. As in hidden behind a few minutes of silence after you thought the CD had finished. This was the case of single edit taking the piss. Shame on you, Kasabian. Okay, you're still pretty cool, though.
I've been trying to find out some sort of information about the demo version of the Beatles song Something, which was included in the 50th anniversary version of Abbey Road. But, yeah, I can't find anything. So, I really like it. It's different. And here it is. Believe in 
The Mars Volta broke up in 2012, and to make things worse, they spent the past 10 years trolling their fan base with notions of reunions and hints at new projects that never materialise. In 2021, the band started teasing something called Landscape Tantrums. Was this going to be a new album, a tour, a movie, a spin-off? It was hard not to be disappointed when it turned out to be demo recordings from their debut album, The Last in the Comatorium. But then I listened to the recordings, and they're pretty darn interesting to a diehard fan like me. For a band that paid as much attention to the tone, timber, effects, and density of their sound as Mars Volta, it's fascinating to hear these very familiar songs in unfamiliar ways. But of all the tracks on Landscape Tantrums, I think the album's eventual single, Inertiatic ESP, is probably one of the most faithful to the final cut. But there's still a lot of that good manic energy running through those ragged edges that had yet to be fully cleaned up. And I like it.
Confession time here, because I really had my mind blown when looking into this. So back when I was like 13 or so and really into Slipknot, there was word of their demo, Mate Feed Kill Repeat, being heavier and better than their debut album. Try as we might, my friends and I couldn't find it anywhere. It wasn't until much later when I casually listened to it that I realized what I was hearing, that demo that we tried so hard to find. But I only just found out that the band was actually a completely different beast at this point, mostly because Corey Taylor wasn't even a part of it. This is the sole release with original frontman Anders Kolsefni. Yeah, I know I probably should have known this already, but I didn't, and it explains so much about it. This is not the Slipknot that would become the monster that Iowa would make them. This is a much more experimental and unsure band, but yeah, it's really good. So I guess my confession is that I'm a shit Slipknot fan. And this is the song Confessions. I'm not 
we've been seeing it's not that unusual for a band to re-release one of their own songs and it's not even unusual for that new version to feature a guest musician but it would be unusual to feature that new version on the guest artist's album instead of your own it's not what you'd call a common occurrence but the one example that comes to mind for me is that of the band the antlers parentheses was their single from 2011 from an album called blowing apart it was given a complete facelift just two years later when the antlers hooked up with trip-hop icon tricky which was then released on Tricky's False Idols album. The new version was a bit shorter and a lot punchier than the original. Obviously, the Antlers still got the writing credit, but why distance yourself from the remake so blatantly? But then again, False Idols is a pretty strange album, and it plays by its own rules. This is one conundrum I'm never going to get to the bottom of.
So thank you once again for joining us on our look at demos and alternate tracks. And if you like what you heard, jump on to, yeah, whatever kind of streaming service you use. And please join us next week as we pay tribute to an artist who was very dear to my heart, who has just passed away as of the time of this recording. Next week, it is going to be all about the life and times of Mark Lanigan. We will see you then. See you then. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.